Maybe seated. Um, am I on? I'm not on. Working on it. Uh, there is children's worship this morning. Yay! I'm excited. So, uh, if you would like to attend with children's worship, you can line up here in the back. Um, this is our last Sunday in Thessalonians, which is why I'm still here. Um, we're one week behind, but we're doing okay. If you have um, awaited to see if there were any of these left, there are some left, and so if you need to go get one, this is the last Sunday they'll be available um, for you. So, um, yeah, so excited to walk through this last passage with you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would be with us this morning, uh, that we, you would continue to do that which we have prayed uh, for many weeks, and that you would take from the wisdom which is yours, which is pure and peace-loving, just full of good fruits, which is praiseworthy, which is true, and you would impart it to us by the power of your Spirit, that he would make those things known to us that you would have us to know today that you would plant your word in our hearts and that we would receive it in humility because it is able to save our souls. It is your power unto salvation. We pray that we would hear it this morning, not so that we might become full of knowledge, but because we want to be more after the image of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, there are some weeks where I stand up in front of you. I, I say this, I think, a fair bit when I say, like, you know, something to the effect of I'm preaching to myself um, or I haven't figured all this out yet, right? And I say things like that a fair bit because it's true, because one of the ironies of being a preacher or a teacher is you're in the, the midst of everything with everybody else, right? Um, But man, that was really true this week. This week, um, I just had a really, really rough week. And God in his providence knew that I needed this sermon. Um, you know, it's one of those things when you work, uh, especially like I do in sales, like things are going to be harder each year. You know, if you do well, you're going to be rewarded with increased sales quotas. And it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's kind of like Israel, the, you know, the classic. Um, you got to make as many bricks as you did before, but now we're not going to give you the straw either, right? And I had a lot of problems at work this week, and I was feeling really frustrated, really disquieted in my heart. A lot of just stuff going on in my head. And, and I didn't even really know I was going to preach on this. And... Um, and then there were other things were going on, you know, the back to school stuff. So we started back to school and we had, uh, thought about for weeks how our kids were going to ride their bikes to school. And then the first day it rained, so we couldn't do that. And then something else came up. And then the one day we got to ride our bikes, I forgot that there were after school activities. So then I had to go pick the bikes up and it's just like, you know, one thing after another and all that stuff that's going on within, you know, within me. But then there was stuff even outside of me that I, had, I, I couldn't even really control and didn't really anticipate. So someone decided it would be a good idea. I'm 
around 5.15 at night to park their car across the street, pull out a 9mm gun, and shoot a bunch of bullets into the air. And you're like, that's something I didn't need. I don't know what to do about that. And our house actually got hit with a bullet a couple of years ago. And so it's bringing back memories of those things, right? And we're just like, God, what's going on? I mean, I was so uh, just embattled this week that I missed not one, but two meetings. And I was just like, I, I can't even remember the time in my life where I missed one meeting, let alone two, in the same week. And I'm just like, God, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Why all this stuff? And, and as I got later towards in the week and I really started pulling together the sermon, I was like, because you wanted me to hear this. Because you wanted me to be able to see it and understand it. And in, in, in realizing that the things that I was experiencing are exactly the things that the Thessalonian church has been experiencing. We've talked about them all summer, Right. Um, just by way of reminder, if you haven't been here, uh, the Thessalonians are dealing with a couple of things. Internally, in their church, they are dealing with three primary problems. They have people who are disregarding Paul's teaching. They're unruly, and they're saying, we don't have to listen to Paul. We learned about this in chapter 4. We also learned that there are people who are dealing with problems with sexual holiness. Um, and then that's something that they were also disregarding. Uh, maybe because they thought the resurrection... Uh, meant that they didn't have to have personal holiness. And then thirdly, there were people who don't want to work. Um, they said, you know, if Jesus is coming back, we don't really need to do anything, do we? We'll just wait till he comes back. And Paul says, no, all three of those are misapplications of the gospel. And that's what they're dealing with inside their community, but outside of their community, they're being persecuted, right? They've driven Paul out of town, and they are coming back now. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to live life without him. He himself uh, is experiencing this disruption, right? He has to flee for his life. And he's so worried about them, he sends Timothy back. So there's all kinds of disruption in this letter, all kinds of disquiet. The whole, uh, the whole idea that Paul ends his letter the way he does, talking about the God of peace shows you how much peace is needed in their community. And that may not be you today. Maybe your week wasn't like my week. But we've all had weeks like that, and we're going to have more weeks like that. So how can we learn from what Paul tells the Thessalonians as we wrap things together? Uh, three things this morning. In verses 23 and 24, uh, Paul is going to talk about praying for peace. He's going to pray for peace for the Thessalonians, and he's going to say, uh, Here are the here's what I'm praying for you in regards to peace. Secondly, uh, he's going to give us three instructions on how to practice peace in the community, practicing peace amongst one another uh, in 25, 26, and 27. And then he's going to end with the power for peace in verse 28. So that's what we'll look at as we walk through the text this morning. So look back with me at verses 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, this is the eighth time that Paul has referred to the coming of Jesus. 
Uh, and so it's in every chapter, uh, and it, it is a focal point of what Paul wants to communicate to the Thessalonians. And this is his second prayer. And uh, you might not have caught what we've been doing at the end of the services and our benedictions, but we've been using Paul's prayer as our benedictions as we've gone through the series. So when we were in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we used the prayer at the end of 3, 11 to 13. And then in these last five or six weeks, we've been using this prayer as our benediction uh, as we've kind of talked through it, because they're all leading up to that. This prayer and the prayer in chapter 3 are very similar. Uh, Paul's praying for holiness. He says, the God of peace, may he sanctify you completely. And uh, when you read that, um, I, I look at completely, and this is why they make us study the languages in seminary. It's like completely. I see that word all the time. This is the only time that this word for completely is ever used in the Bible. Um, and Paul's doing some interesting stuff here, but it, it's a compound word of the word whole. And you'll notice like three words later, he uses the word whole again. What Paul is saying is, I pray that you would be holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. I want you to be holy, holy, if you say it that way, right? Um, he's saying the whole person through and through should be permeated with holiness. That's where he's going with it. He's saying, I want the God of peace to make every molecule of your body to be like Jesus in holiness and power and in grace. You might say, okay, well, well Paul, what exactly does that mean? Well, he goes on to explain that in the next clause in that verse. So he says, what I mean is, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. This is what he actually prayed again in chapter 3, so he's repeating himself. Um, I'm praying again that you will be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And... When you read that, you might start to have some questions. Okay, so Paul says he wants you to be holy, holy, right? He wants you to be holy through and through, filled with holiness. But then he says, okay, your spirit and your soul and your body. Okay, what's the difference between spirit and soul and how the spirit is full? It's an interesting question. Um, it's a question about many books have been written, many dissertations. If you want to read some of them, they're out there. Um, it's the question of what constitutes a human person. Are we a body and soul, or are we a body, soul, and spirit? And I'm going to suggest to you this morning, it's a question I've had for a long time, that that's not what Paul's trying to answer. Uh, and I find it ironic that we've had so much angst over that question um, historically in the church, when Paul's entire prayer here is that you would have peace. <laughs> and so... I don't think he's saying something that should be that terribly confusing for people or should cause so much division. Um, but there are long-standing debates about are we a tripartite type of person or a bipartite, body and soul. What Paul is doing here, um, though, is, is fairly easy to understand. Paul is pulling together um, his own training in the Old Testament as well as uh, something similar to what Jesus did. In Matthew 22, uh, Jesus is asked, 
by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? In verse 38, he answers them. He says, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? And maybe you've had the same questions about that verse. Okay, well, there's heart and soul and mind. Those are all kind of different things. But how do those things work together? And you know, Well, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So he changes the last word. That's what Paul's doing here. The whole point of those two passages is to say that you are to love God with every piece of who you are. And what Paul is doing is by, by saying first, uh, I want you to be holy through and through. And what I mean is every single part of you, both in your spirit, in your spiritual self, but also in your body. Right? None of those other passages, in fact, none of the other passages where that, that scripture is quoted is body ever referenced. Paul's laying emphasis on the fact that the gospel is embodied in us as human persons and our holiness is embodied as human persons as well. That everything we do, we do as a unity. Right? Our bodies were never meant to be ripped from our, soul, or, uh, from our souls, right? We talked about this in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 when we looked at that. That's not how we're supposed to be. That's the result of sin. And so everything we do, whether we do it in the body or out of the body, even as Paul said earlier, whether we're awake or whether we're asleep, we do all for the glory of God. So he's just rephrasing himself. He's tying together this idea that holiness is really about wholeness in the Christian life. W-H-O-L-E, wholeness. And and this is such a key thing for us to understand, and it's something that eluded me for many, many years growing up in the church, right? To understand, like, you know, I think about all the things I learned in the church. It's all about um, the things that I'm not supposed to do, right? The things I'm not supposed to do. That's what Christianity is about, right? You're You're not supposed to do these things. But that's not it at all. What Paul is praying for is he's saying sin has broken you. That grace and holiness actually makes you a more whole person than you were before. That what we are looking for is the restoration of a person into the fullness of what God created him to be. That what Jesus is doing by making us into his image is actually making you more human the way you were created to be, not less. He's not taking away your joy. He's giving it to you. He's not taking away your freedom. He's giving it to you. He is restoring peace and shalom inside of you. And as the individual holiness is manifested in the community, the community is brought together in its wholeness as well. That's what Paul is praying for them. That you individually would be so characterized by the holiness of Jesus, that the community would be made complete in its wholeness. What a prayer. Um, That's what we're looking for, right? When we talk about all the things we've talked about in the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus coming again, that is the singular thing we're, we're talking about, right? And I've mentioned this verse a couple of times. Um, 
Second Peter 3.13, but it's, you know, if you ask me, you stop me on the road and you said, hey, Dan, give me one sentence. What is heaven about? What is the new creation about? What am I looking forward to? Peter says, according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right? This idea that righteousness, holiness, is the key to wholeness, to peace in the Christian life. That's where it resides. In the disquiet and the discomfort and the discord and all those things that we feel now are all manifestations of sin and brokenness and evil that will be taken away on the last day. That's what makes the new heavens and new earth so great. And that's what Paul is praying. He's praying, bring that community here, bring that reality, that future promise, bring it here today in the present as we seek to be more like Jesus. Paul moves on um, after he prays for peace and he gives us some practices uh, that promote peace amongst one another. Verse 25, brothers, pray for us. And then he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And then I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. He's going to give us three, three ways that we can practice peace. And that's kind of what he's asking the Thessalonians to do. Uh, first, he says, brothers, pray for us. And that may seem like such a small thing. Um, but what he is saying here is that practicing peace in the community means sharing your burdens with one another. It is unheard of in Paul's day for the itinerant philosopher, right, which is what Paul would be compared to, to be needy or to share his problems with his followers. They exist to serve him, to facilitate him. He's the one who has the answers. But here's Paul who calls them brothers for the 14th time in the book and says, you are my family. You are my brothers and my sisters. I was pleased to not only share the gospel with you, but to share my whole life with you. And now I want to share this burden with you to say, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. One of the best ways we can practice peace amongst ourselves is by sharing our burdens together. If there is a burden that you need to share, we would love to help you with that. Sharing our burdens with one another. In fact, Paul writes it in Galatians. He says, share your burdens with one another and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Right? How powerful is that? That's what we want to do. Practice peace by sharing our burdens with one another. Secondly, he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And what he means is that we practice peace by honoring everyone. We practice peace by honoring everyone. Um, Paul means in this not to command the Thessalonians to greet each other with a holy kiss every time they come together. He means, uh, greet them on my behalf with a holy kiss, right? As if I was there. That's what he's doing. It's like he's saying, I send my greetings. Um, a kiss in, uh, in Paul's day, you could think about it, and probably the closest equivalent we have today is maybe what they do in Europe, right? Where they give two kisses on the cheek. It could have been two on the cheek. It could have been one on the cheek, but it was probably on the cheek. Um, it was a standard greeting the way a handshake is a greeting for us. But the, the radical thing about it 
is that Paul doesn't just say to do it to those with whom he is close or with those with whom he shares ethnicity or with those who are in the same socioeconomic strata as he is. He says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Paul knows the gospel breaks down the dividing walls between us and he says the gospel says to honor all people regardless of what their background is or what their status is. The gospel makes us one in Christ and we should greet each other as they are one in Christ. The concept that we practice peace by honoring everyone. And then lastly, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I just kind of mentioned it in passing, but he did an interview recently on a podcast. um, And they were talking about, um, the question was posed to him, said, Tim, you're a celebrity pastor. How have you avoided all of the trappings of what being a celebrity pastor means? And his answer was Hebrews 3.13, which says, Encourage one another daily, and so much the more, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's what he says, encourage one another daily. We talked a little bit about this because at the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul both twice instructs the Thessalonians to encourage each other with these words. And what Paul is saying is, I've written you this letter, I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord as his apostle, that part of the practice of peace in the community is to continually submit one and submit to yourselves, one to another, under the authority of the word, to learn from the word, to be built up by the word, to be encouraged by the word, that we need each other in the community to speak these words of truth to us, especially when we need to hear them. And as I was going through this things this week, I sat down with Pat and I told him and I left that conversation encouraged. And then I talked to other people throughout the week and I left those conversations encouraged because I needed the body to come alongside me in my moment of disruption and disquiet and for them to tell me truth because all I could see was the things that were in my mind. And I needed that truth to be told to me. That practicing peace is encouraging one another daily with God's word. So Paul has prayed for peace. He's told us how to practice peace. What is the power by which this peace is manifest? Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We don't talk a lot about the salutations, um, in ancient letters. And remember, we read this in our Bible. My my Greek professor used to say, we read the Bible like it was written 50 years ago in English. And that's really true, right? This is a letter and it's it's collected in in a kind of anthology, right? But it's a letter. He sent it as a letter. And as letters go, they have certain elements. And this was a uh, something that was really unparalleled in ancient letter writing. You, You didn't really change the farewell. Everybody just said farewell. Right? It was just kind of the practice in Paul's day. But Paul, if you were here during the, the, the ordination and installation service, you heard this from one of our brothers at New City. Roger, he mentioned this. 
In every letter that Paul writes, he signs off in the same way, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now he varies it a little bit, but it's never farewell. It's never about him. It's always about the grace of God because that is the power for that life. The power behind practicing peace, the power of the peace that Paul mentions here, it's just kind of shorthand. It is the power that through the work of Jesus has reconciled us to himself. It is the power that, that Paul says in Romans 5, that while we were still enemies, Christ put aside the hatred of us and took it upon himself for our sin. It is the power that did away with all of the things standing between us and God in Ephesians 1 uh, and, and, and brought us into right relationship with God. It is the power of peace and reconciliation that which the earth, the creation, was subjected to futility because of our sin that Christ is now reconciling all things to himself through Jesus in Colossians 1. And it is that power that looks forward to the day when you and I will stand as the bride of Christ in Revelation 19, clothed in his righteousness, as we sung earlier, dressed in his righteousness alone, spotless, pure, blameless, which is what Paul has been praying for them the whole time. That is the peace that brought us near to God. And even in that small statement, when he just says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, he has in mind this whole complex of the finished work of Jesus that brought us near even when we are far away. That's the power that we have in peace. It's the power that makes Christianity so different than everything else because it says it's not about what you do or what you have done or how much you could promise to do in the future. It's about what Jesus has already done on your behalf. And that is the power. I don't know what kind of week I'm going to have. I don't know what kind of week you're going to have. But I do know this, if I can use the words from Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah, Isaiah 53. He says, the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. And Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, he talks to his disciples in John 16, and he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And he did that by taking our place on the cross. If you have not found that peace, it's the only place you're going to find it in this world. I'd urge you, come to Jesus. Come and find that peace. Wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with today, the peace of God is with you until He comes again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we say. Say it with me. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can do better than that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would come quickly. That you would send your son to right all that is wrong 
to bring justice and righteousness to reign upon the earth. Father, that day that we long for where there are no more tears, no more hardships, no more despair, no more weakness, where our bodies will be made powerful and incorruptible, we pray that you bring this hope to the forefront of our lives. And as we wait in hope, would you give us peace? Peace that knows that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you say and what you have promised you will do, that you are powerful to accomplish it. And when all other things give way, that we have this hope as an anchor of the soul that reaches into the heavens itself where Jesus has gone before us and he has left us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that that promise will come true on the last day. May that peace fill our hearts and give us wholeness through the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.